Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. Next, we have an interesting story about a mother and her daughter that are facing criminal charges after the daughter had an abortion in Nebraska. In this case, police obtained their Facebook messages through a search warrant. In Nebraska, 20 weeks is the limit to have an abortion, and the teen at the time had it some weeks later. The pair contracted another man to bury the body after the baby came out stillborn. For more on how this case highlights how tech companies could be enlisted by law enforcement to prosecute these types of cases, We'll speak to Jason Kebler, Editor-in-Chief at Motherboard. This is a pretty bleak case sort of across the board, and I think that that's important to talk about because when people talk about, you know, the right to choose, um, there's a lot of sort of messy edge cases. It's like, like you mentioned, Nebraska has a 20-week abortion ban. Um, The the woman in question, actually teen, 17-year-old, was 28 weeks pregnant at the time, and 28 weeks... Um, is banned in Nebraska, but it would have been legal in several other states. In this case, the woman and her mother uh, bought a, bought something called Pregnot, which is a medical abortion pill. Um, it, it's pretty widely used in the first trimester uh, to safely abort or safely end a pregnancy. In this case, uh, you know, she was further along than that. She used the, the pill and had a stillbirth, um, at least that's according to the court documents. They then took the fetus and buried the fetus uh, sort of to end the situation. Someone reported that to the cops. The cops came and investigated it, spoke to uh, the mother, the daughter, as well as some of their sort of like friends and acquaintances and people that knew about the situation and found that uh, they had been talking about this on Facebook. And so they went and got a search warrant to get all the DMs and sort of private information, profile data from Facebook, from Meta, which is Facebook's parent company. Facebook complied with that court order. And then after that, they used the Facebook DMs that they obtained through that court order to seize a bunch of computers and phones associated with the case, uh, basically to get more evidence. And that's sort of where we're at right now. Like those are the facts of the case. Yeah. 
and it, it is this, it's this big concern among a lot of people that tech companies and people's private uh, digital communications are going to, going to be used to prosecute abortion cases moving forward. Yeah, so they were charged with removing, concealing, abandoning a dead human body, concealing the death of another person, false reporting. You know, these are some of the charges they're facing and all of that. And as you mentioned, it was kind of that two-part process. So first they got the DMs, then they were able to seize other things, laptops and smartphones, and get even more details. What were they talking about in those messages? Because they did say, hey, you know, the, the pills arrived. You know, we're going to burn the body. We're going to, they, they contracted with a 22-year-old man to, to help them bury the body. So what did we see in some of those messages? So it, it's a mother and a daughter talking about this situation. They do say, hey, you know, the pills came in. I'm going to take this. This can be sort of the end of this situation. And then, yes, we're going to bury the body. And and seemingly that was used as like probable cause to, uh, you know, further seize their devices. I think one thing that's really important to note and something that I saw when I was reading through the court record yesterday is throughout the case, the fetus is being referred to as a human body, is being referred to as skeletal remains, is being referred to as a life that was ended. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it seems as though the baby was stillborn. So uh, that that's sort of what the teenager in the case said. Um, an autopsy report said that the findings were consistent with the baby being stillborn or, or essentially. Um, there's a lot of worry moving forward that you know women are going to be prosecuted for miscarriages for stillbirths for things like that and in this case you can see the state of nebraska defining this fetus as a baby as a human as a body and it's like obviously people can agree or disagree on sort of that that's the whole crux of the abortion debate that we've been having for decades and decades but you know in nebraska they define this as a human life as a baby as a human and that is one of the reasons why these these charges came through, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think they saw within some of the autopsies that maybe that there was no oxygen that was in the lungs. That's why they say that the baby was born stillborn. So, you know, a lot of difficult things to go through on this case. And we're going to be hearing a lot more about it. There's a jury trial set for October. So that's when a lot more details are going to come out. But what has Meta, the parent company and Facebook, said so far on their part with all of this, on providing this information to law enforcement? Because for a time, they were saying already that they wouldn't provide some of this type of information uh, or out people if they were talking about abortions, things like that. So what was their response to this so far? Right. So that's a really important point because when Roe versus Wade was overturned, sort of immediately people started worrying about whether data from period app, period tracking apps was going to be sort of weaponized against women to prosecute them, whether their messages would be used against them. There was a lot of, you know, reporting, including from us at Motherboard, talking to, you know, tech companies about like, how are you going to approach this? Like, are you going to comply with court orders? Are you going to turn over this data if asked? so on and so forth. And it turned out that, you know, Facebook has been pretty noncommittal on what it would do. Um, In this case, it did turn over, you know, these private messages. And Meta has said that basically they said, we did not know that this was an abortion case. When the cops came to us, they said it was a human body. It was a murder investigation, which, you know, none of the people in this uh, case have been tried with, uh, have been charged with murder. But they were basically like, we're, we didn't know that it was an abortion case. And that, that raises further questions because it's like the, the actual affidavit that was filed with the court 
was very clear that this was being investigated as sort of a stillbirth, as an abortion case. Um, and so, so that just like, we've seen some of these law enforcement portals before, and it's like, not all of the details of why law enforcement are asking for data from a tech company is always there. And so it raises questions about, you know, are tech companies going to be, uh, utilized sort of without their knowledge in these sorts of cases. And, and it adds another wrinkle to it because Facebook has been talking for years about potentially uh, encrypting Facebook Messenger by default, which would have made these messages impossible for law enforcement to get. Um, it's a debate that's been going on in tech circles for a really long time. There was a super famous case uh, around the San Bernardino shooting, mass shooting a few years ago with right. Apple and iMessage, you know, sort of encrypted iMessages as well as encrypted hard drives on an iPhone. Uh, Facebook's WhatsApp, uh, Facebook owns WhatsApp and all of those are encrypted by default, but Facebook Messenger still is not. You know, in that San Bernardino case, they ended up finding a workaround, you know, to get some of that data anyways. But, you know, they were taking that to court. You know, there was a lot of stuff that was going through it. But by and large, it seems if any of these tech companies are posed with a valid search warrant, they're going to comply with it for the most part, it seems like, and especially in the case of what Facebook said. And you're right, you know, if the police aren't providing, you know, certain details, you know, who knows if they're even obligated to provide some of those details. So that's the tricky part, I guess, for some of the tech companies. But yeah, just an example of what we could be seeing down the line. And now that more states are outlawing abortion on the books. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it sort of raises questions about like, we're not sure what Facebook's values are necessarily, but it, it puts tech companies in a difficult situation where the default is they sort of comply with court orders. Um, you know, we've seen a few tech companies try to push back against lawful orders, but at the same time you have, you know, a contingent of workers at Facebook who presumably don't want, you know, don't want Facebook to be giving, giving out user data when it applies to abortion cases. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, there's, there's been reporting showing that uh, Mark Zuckerberg asked Meta employees not to talk about abortion on sort of like internal um, message boards and discussion boards. Uh, Facebook also said that it would ban users who openly talk about mailing uh, medical abortion pills on its platform, which yeah. is, you know, something that has, has come up quite a lot since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So, I mean, it's a really interesting problem for tech companies, uh, partially of their own making because of the way that they have designed their platforms to sort of be the keepers of all of this information. Um, you know, we're not having this conversation about Apple because iMessage is encrypted by default. And it's like, in this case, they were able to get text messages in part because, um, you know, the police were able to seize the actual devices. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the device seizure, as I, as I mentioned, sort of grew out of this original Facebook subpoena and court right. order. Jason Kebler, Editor-in-Chief for Motherboard. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, 
offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing. And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Finally for this week, some streaming stars are learning the hard way what the price of online fame can be. Stars on the video game streaming platform Twitch invite viewers into their homes to hang out, interact with fans, and they can gain big followings pretty quickly, but they also have to deal with stalkers and harassment. While it's nothing new that celebrities have had to deal with these difficulties from fans, the intimacy that the streaming relationship allows just amps it up. For more on all this, we'll speak to Kellen Browning, tech reporter at the New York Times. Caitlin, she um, is one of the top streamers on Twitch. She has over 5 million followers. As you say, that comes with you know a lot of positives, and you can make money and be famous, but uh, there, there are negatives as well. So like you say, one of those problems is the harassment and stalking that comes with it. In this case, uh, there was a man that she said came from Estonia to find her outside her um, at her house outside of Houston just to try to stalk her, essentially. And he was obsessed with her. Um, she's dealt with other stalkers in the past that say that they are somehow in love with her or think that they know her. And that's one of these issues that some of these live streaming stars say they have on Twitch is that people really feel like they know them, even though they don't in real life. And so they, in some cases, grow obsessed and want to find uh, the streamer in real life. And that's what she had to deal with here. She had to call the police. She barricaded herself inside her house. She has previously dealt with stalkers, so she had taken some measures to be safe in terms of uh, protection for herself. But she said it was scary and not something that obviously she wants to deal with again. And obviously in the world we live in now of everything is online and the added weirdness was that this guy is there at her house stalking her, but he's also live streaming it himself. And, you know, he's saying, I'm, right, right. You know, I'm sorry it took so long to get here. It was a hell of a challenge, but I'm here now. You know, how how ominous and scary does that sound as he live streams it? Who knows what would have happened if she would have made it to the door and all that. So, yeah, so you're right. You know, this is kind of what's happening to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, part of the thing is, too, is that, you know, when you do kind of get some fame very quickly in these online worlds, you're not going necessarily the traditional route. You might not have taken some of those steps to protect your privacy. And, you know, a lot of times with these Twitch streamers as well, you're broadcasting right into a bedroom or another room in the house. And, you know, eagle eyed watchers will take any clue, anything to know, to kind of figure out where you could be. And, and, that's, and that's a problem posed by a lot of what's going on online right now. 
you hit on exactly that the idea that many of these live streamers started as amateurs. They gained fame overnight, and they never really expected that a view outside their window or some casual reference to somewhere they like to go for fun nearby them could eventually be used to expose them or reveal their location to someone that wants to find them. And I think that is one of the biggest issues here is that uh, these streamers feel like they are often unprepared for what is coming because they maybe didn't conceal their personal um, information beforehand. They maybe in some cases, uh, one of the women we spoke with for the story who just goes by Brandy, her first name, uh, she, you know, in the past when she was less famous, she was giving out her full name to people. She was adding them on her private Facebook page. And she has also dealt with a stalker and now she's much more private about it. But in some cases it can be too late. Your address might be online somewhere and, and people then know where to find you. You know, the trend right now with how people subscribe to the influencers they like, the streamers that they like, you know, the whole business model is based on having those intimate relationship with your followers. That's why things like OnlyFans have been so successful. That's why these Twitch streamers have been very successful. You get to hang out during a live stream. It really increases that sense of closeness and intimacy, really. And, you know, you spoke to some psychologists about what this is like. As I mentioned, this has been happening for a long time with traditional stars and all that. They call it parasocial relationship, where it's kind of this one-sided thing where the fans are investing so much time in you and they know everything about you. You know, you're the star. You have no clue who these people are. It's very one-sided. And they say that, you know, with this Twitch thing now, because you're doing the live stream, hanging out, getting to see some more intimate details. It's like a one and a half sided parasocial relationship. Now there's that increased feeling of possession or ownership over whoever that star is. Right. And and that has certainly some benefits. I mean, as, as some of the people we spoke to said, it can help fans, you know, feel less lonely during a pandemic. It can form close bonds between viewers of a chat and maybe they, they become friends on their own. But like you say, and like we wrote about, there are also some drawbacks to that. There is this really strong feeling of closeness that happens with this so-called one-and-a-half-sided parasocial relationship uh, in that there's just a lot of interaction. And you do think some of these fans start to feel like, I have some right to know them in the real world, or they like me, or they love me, or something like that. And it just gets to a point where it gets very creepy for some of these stars. What has been the response of platforms like Twitch you know, in response to things like this. I I know there's been times where the content creators themselves have gone back to Twitch asking for some help and whatnot. It's kind of this unfortunate limbo where Twitch can't really do too much. I mean, they can't really release information of a supposed stalker unless law enforcement gets involved. Uh, You know, so what what has their response been to some type, uh, these types of actions by, uh, on behalf of their users? Well, Twitch does have some incentive to want this close kind of relationship because They make money off of it, of course. I think that needs to be said. But yes, they do say that it's very important to them to keep their streamers safe from harm. But you're right. They sometimes are limited in what they can do. They often urge streamers to report credible threats to law enforcement, local police officers in in those streamers areas. And they have their own law enforcement response team that helps with those kinds of uh, requests. But in some cases, they're limited. They, They say that they've rolled out different tools to help block or ban or silence sort of unruly users online. But sometimes in the real world, it becomes a little bit difficult for them to intervene. Yeah, even some of the Twitch streamers themselves have said, well, they teach us how to do uh, certain things, how to reach out to people, kind of create the brand, uh, grow the pages and whatnot. But they feel like this part of it, security and and privacy, they should play up a little bit more and, and really help new 
creators on there. So this is kind of that stalker angle, right? And we know what's going on on a lot of these pages, right? They're very beautiful girls that are, you know, doing cosplay and streaming the video game playing and all that. And guys can fall in love and whatnot. It goes both ways. But another thing that happens too is the harassment and things that are called hate raids, where uh, people are just kind of being the worst kind of people to these content creators. And, and you know, there's uh, uh, racial things going on. Uh, you know, this is the other side of it, too. Yeah, the hate raids uh, were a big issue for Twitch last year. Something where streamers, especially black streamers, other streamers of color, said that they were being targeted with these bots that would come into their chats and spam the, um, the chats with hateful, racist messages and just really made them feel, of course, uncomfortable and, and scared and concerned. And Twitch just said that it's done some things to address that, to increase their its moderation and help against the bots. But a lot of streamers still feel like there's a lot of online harassment going on still, too. And, and in some cases, that escalates, right? That's kind of what we were getting out of this story, is how it escalates into the real-world harassment and things like swatting, um, which we dis- uh, discussed in the story is uh, when law enforcement may show up at your home because a, a random viewer has your address and has falsely reported a crime occurring at your residence. Yeah, and the big payoff for all those people is if you see the cops interrupt the live stream or, or something like that, you know, at that point, the swatters have won, you know, they got what they wanted out of it. And, you know, this is all to say, right, this is kind of this new world of online streaming where people are making tons of money off of this. I mean, they're, they're doing these things as jobs. When you're talking about the first woman, uh, Caitlin, you know, she makes... $120,000 a month on Twitch. She has other revenue streams where, you know, dependent on connecting with fans, but this is uh, the the part of it, you know, you need to really take those steps to to protect yourself because people can go crazy and take it too far. One of the biggest takeaways here is just that the online world and what we would say maybe the real world or the physical world is, are increasingly becoming closer together and and things that happen online affect what happens to you in person. Maybe you say something or reveal some detail on a Twitch stream and that feels very far apart and distinct from your real world, but it can have dangerous real world consequences. And Caitlin, who you mentioned, she said to me at one point, you know, this is just like any other job in person. You don't want to be harassed in the office and I'm doing my job here. I don't want to be harassed. There's a lot of interesting details in this story. I suggest everybody go out and read Kellen's piece, uh, other people and streamers that you've talked to. A lot of good stuff in there. Kellen Browning, tech reporter at The New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. Great talking to you. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.